Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, powered by Christianity Today and Kairos Partnerships. Well, as you know, my partner in crime, my co-host on this podcast, Doug Moister, is on sabbatical, and we're grateful that he is resting and living out what we talk about so often and frequently on this podcast. But we have a special guest today who will be filling in on the podcast co-host chair this morning. And uh, you may have never heard his voice before today, but the truth is that nobody has, uh, no one would be ever able to listen to Doug's voice or my voice on this podcast without him. In fact, besides Doug and me, nobody has his fingerprints all over this podcast more than our guest, Joel Limbowen. Joel is a good friend of ours, friend of the show, producer of this show. And we thought it would be a great opportunity for our listeners to hear from the man who has always been behind the proverbial glass. So, Joel, I was going to say welcome to the podcast, but instead I'll say welcome to this side of the podcast. Oh, thanks. It's uh, weird to be here. <laughs> well, Joel, you're, you're not a pastor, but you have a great deal of ministry leadership and experience. You have been a ministry leader in our church and other churches uh, for quite some time. But tell us a little bit about your story of leadership and ministry and even how you got to kind of being on the other side of this podcast. Yeah, so I uh, actually attend the uh, the church that Doug pastors, JR, that you founded. And um, it, our church is kind of a, it has an interesting structure. We, we have house churches. And um, because we have house churches, there's a lot of opportunities for people like me who um, don't really have formal seminary training or anything to take on some leadership roles in the community. So uh, I, along with a, a friend, a neighbor in our in our neighborhood, uh, help lead the house church that's uh, usually meets in our house, actually. Yeah. And how long have you been doing that, Joel? You know, I think it's longer than I realize. I, I think it's probably coming up on seven or eight years. Yeah. I, was, I had the number seven in my head for some reason. Yeah. yeah. And even before that, I mean, you were joining us when you were a college student out at Biola. You join us on before everyone did Zoom. Uh, for churches, you were joining us. We met at 10 a.m. and you were 7 a.m. Uh, out West Coast and join us. You were you were dating uh, what is now your wife at the time, your girlfriend, mm -hmm. and uh, who was attending uh, a church here in PA. So yeah, it's we've loved uh, having you a part of this. Again, most of our listeners know your name uh, and who you are through maybe the show notes or the podcast or even the other podcast that I host called the um, the Resilient Leaders Podcast. But uh, I'm so grateful that people get to hear a little bit of your your ministry side on what you do. And one of the things that Doug and I have always loved about you is you're a great conversationalist. And a lot of that conversationalist uh, uniqueness and interesting elements that you bring, and I read this and I saw that, but it means that you're a great you're a great reader. You're a wide reader, and you read uh, quite a bit. And so I wanted our guests to hear what are some books that you're reading or that you've read maybe in the past few months or this summer that have stirred you in some way that you want to share with some of our listeners? Yeah. Um, so actually the books I've been reading recently uh, should be familiar to anyone who's been listening to this podcast for the past couple of months. Um, the Probably the one that has had the most uh, maybe positive impact on my soul has been uh, Malcolm Geitz, David's Crown. Um, the interview that you guys did with him uh, a few a few weeks ago, um, you know, basically stirred me to buy the book and it's, it's been great. Uh, every morning I uh, wake up and one of the first things I do is read a couple of those poems. And um, yeah, just the the wonder that he captures uh, as he's 
as he's uh, reflecting on the Psalms has, has just been really, really a great way to start the day. Um, and another thing that I've been reading or that actually just finished um, was reading the times by uh, Jeff Bilbro, who was also just on the show. And um, yeah, especially coming through the year that we've come through, um, you know, I, I have been thinking a lot about his, uh, the idea that he presents about the macadamization of the mind and um, just how we can kind of take that back and, and uh, really be consuming and reading the news in a way that's, that's helpful uh, to us and to our neighbors. Yeah. And that's uh, both those books. Yeah. were deeply meaningful. And I love there are oftentimes that you'll say something that'll sort of be interesting thought to bring into one of the podcasts. And it's cool to hear some of the guests and how they're impacting your reading habits. And you're certainly not alone. We, we've heard from many people who are, are reading as a result of some of the interviews from this podcast, which is great. But your day job is, as you are the founder and, and you currently are still the director of Anna Lim Productions, a little playoff name uh, off of the last year, last name, Lim Bowen. So mm -hmm. um, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do at Anna Lim Productions. What do you do and how do you serve leaders in a variety of ways? Yeah, so um, I always say that at Anna Lim Productions, we go out on a limb to tell the stories that need to be told. And the way that we do that is through video and audio solutions. So I, uh, you know, obviously help produce this podcast uh, as well as your other podcast, Resilient Leaders. Um, and really the thing that takes up the majority of my time is uh, I, I do video production. So um, especially for local churches and nonprofits here in the Philadelphia area, but there are also a couple of national organizations um, that I'll go and, and either film conferences or film uh, stories of people, especially kingdom leaders doing amazing kingdom work all over the country. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's really what I, I love to do. Uh, you know, tell the stories of the people who, uh, whose stories need to be told and whose stories we need to hear and, uh, and, you know, stories that, that maybe would fly under the radar otherwise. That's great. How did you get into that, Joel? I mean, I know you went to school and this was a little bit of your background in Biola, but at what point did you say, you know, I, I, maybe I want to start my own video and podcast production company. Yeah, I so I uh, like you said I went to school out at uh, Biola in Los Angeles, uh, which is a great place to go to film school. Um, you know, location you can't really beat it. <laughs> um, but I I did kind of realize that uh the Hollywood uh just the the way that Hollywood works um is is just a really grueling environment um that uh wasn't necessarily what I was looking to do. Um, I, I really love having my hands in every aspect of the, of a production, uh, to, to really be able to shape it and, uh, to really be able to help craft a story. It was, it was like my junior year at Biola and I kind of realized that I didn't want to stay out in California, which always shocks people when I tell them that, <laughs> um, but I was talking to one of my mentors and he said, Oh, well, you should just come back to the Philly area. Um, me and my wife have started this production company and we, think that you would probably do a really great job doing something similar to what we're doing. And um, that kind of planted a seed in my head and uh, came back and they were really gracious with their mentorship and their time. And um, we kind of were able to kind of were able to build this and put this together. That's great, man. And Doug and I are so grateful for the ways in which you have invested and made sure this podcast, I mean, you, you always make us sound way better than we actually do in real life. And I'm sure there are people that might meet us in real life and go, wait, you don't, you don't sound as good as you do on the podcast. Well, that's because of Joel. So we're really grateful, Joel, for your willingness to do that. But you've also done videos for our church. You've done videos for Kairos Partnerships. You've done videos for Fresh Expressions uh, throughout the years, along with just numerous other 
organizations and ministries, um, businesses, nonprofits, and it's been really cool. Are are there one or two stories that throughout the years of of running on a limb productions that you've really loved featuring, or some things you thought, man, what a cool opportunity to be able to feature or highlight that story or tell um, the heart behind that organization? Yeah, so I think still, um, yeah, I, I've been in business for uh, eight years now. And um, one of the first videos that I had the opportunity of doing, um, actually, the two, two, of the, two of the first projects I ever did are still two of my favorites. Uh, one of them was actually a project with UJR. Um, there was a... Oh, really? Yeah. So there, I, I'm sure you remember this. There's a, a sculpture on the main street of the town that we live in oh, here. Oh, yeah. Um, that uh, you, were, you were doing a, a project about um, kind of reading, reading your city. And, or you know reading reading the town and um so there's there's a sculpture on one side of main street and there's this giant globe essentially uh on the other side of main street and um you really had taken the time to reflect on uh you know the sculpture that was called revival and uh this globe and how that how main street runs right through the center and um you kind of wrote a reflection on that and uh, you i believe it was one of the first projects that i ever did um, yeah. that you were like, Oh, we're, let's, let's create a video here. And so I got a chance to like, take your reflections and, um, you know, turn that into something visual that honestly I watched not too long ago and still kind of holds up, which, you know, wow. that's <laughs> amazing. Cool. And I knew you liked it. And I, I really liked that as well. I didn't know that was one of your favorites and yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's great. What's the other one? Yeah. I think you said you had two. What's the other one? Yeah. Yeah. So the other one, um, so there's an organization, Fresh Expressions, that I do a lot of uh, video work for. And the first video that I ever did for them uh, was of a coffee shop in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, which is a, a little um, kind of Rust Belt town in, just outside of Pittsburgh. But we got a chance to interview the, uh, the people that ran the coffee shop. And they were, um, you know, this group of believers that was really just trying to figure out a way to, um, to just incarnate the kingdom of God in this um, the city that really didn't have a lot going for it. and um, just the being able to hear their heart and to see the people that they had built relationships with and the impact that it was having on the community was um, honestly just really formative for me. I, I feel like it, it kind of helped set a trajectory for the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell as a filmmaker. And um, yeah, it was, it was just a really great experience and still one of my favorite projects. Yeah. And that is one of my favorites that I've seen you do. And when I do uh, fresh expressions trainings, I show that, use that a lot. And even though I like kind of know the music that's coming or the quotes that are going to be said, I still get goosebumps because of the way that you captured that story so well there in Aliquippa. In fact, I can hear the guitarist playing the song like in the background in the coffee shop that you feature in that. It's so good. Well, I know, Joel, that you've not only listened to every podcast episode, but you've also been producing and stitching together the audio clips. And again, as I said, making Doug and I sound a lot better than we actually do in real life. Um, I'm curious, what is an episode or a couple of episodes that have stuck out to you since the inception of this podcast? Yeah, I think that there are two that really kind of stick out. Um, the first one, um, you've had AJ, AJ Swoboda on the podcast several times. Yeah. Um, but the the one that really sticks out is the first time that you had him on. Um, I remember it was it was a really raw interview. Um, it he he really uh, was very vulnerable and and opened yeah. himself up and and really, um, you know, uh, was was himself. I feel like and yeah. I um 
one of the one of the taglines that we used to say at the beginning of this podcast was that uh, Monday Morning Pastor was a place where pastors can be people, and mm-hmm. uh, I really felt like that was a an example of a pastor being able to be a person. Yeah. Um, and and that's just not something that you hear a lot on on podcasts or anywhere. Um, mm. So I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I and, distinctly remember that. And I remember us talking through going, wow, that was courageous and very vulnerable uh, of AJ to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good one. And uh, the other one actually is the one that we're rebooting today uh, with Dave Bindwald. And um, yeah, I just as a little teaser, a couple of the things that um, really stood out that really changed the way that I, I think and honestly kind of changed my theology in some ways. Um, the, there's a, the, a little nugget about halfway through where he's talking about how um, so often we think about like uh, the story of the Bible starting at Genesis three with the fall, but how like that's not actually what happens. It starts in Genesis one where uh, God created a, a good creation. and um, that was just that was a light bulb moment for me um that that really is just kind of changed the way that i think about the world and um yeah i i think there's a line where he says that uh the creation is is much gooder than necessary much oh. <laughs> and yeah so i it i i listened to it again just recently and um yeah it's just it's full of really great nuggets and it's really just good for the soul yeah, I, I agree with you, Joel. There were I, I re- remember specifically when we were recording this how I was taking notes like mad, and they're just gem after gem after gem in this um, that really did crystallize and clarify a lot of things for me as well. So, um, Joel, thanks again for um, being on today, but more importantly, thanks for all that you do behind the scenes to make this podcast run. I'm so glad that our guests got a chance to hear a little bit of you and your heart and your story, and so they can kind of maybe personalize a little bit more who's kind of running from behind the proverbial glass. So enjoy this reboot episode. Again, we've gone back into the archives on occasion with some of our favorite episodes. And if you're new with us, this will obviously be uh, a new episode for you. But if you've been around um, the podcast for a while, then we felt like this was so good, we needed to feature it again. So we hope you enjoy this episode with our friend, Dave Bindewald. is the founding director of the Center for Play and Exploration in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which operates on three principles, curiosity, divergent thinking, and freedom to fail. Through his leadership at the center, Dave has led and facilitated teams in ministry, education, medicine, business, and athletics through coaching and cohorts and offsite professional development experiences. His background is in education, theology, psychology, and philosophy, which has led him to a fascination with the power of curiosity to unlock potential in people and in organizations. He is convinced that human life and work can be an act of playful exploration, and this led him to start the center. He loves old couples, being surprised, and rock and roll, and as you'll learn in this interview, he also loves baseball, which makes me happy. Enjoy this conversation with our friend, Dave Bindewald. We're really excited to have Dave on with us today. And, you know, Dave, some of the things that we've been noticing as we've talked with pastors uh, for quite a few years now is just the need of play 
um, within the world of pastors and leaders and just people, humans. And, um, you know, JR mentioned your name to me a few months ago and he was like, we've got to get this guy on the show. He's going to just have a lot of really good things to say and, and just the framework in terms of how you do that. So can you like just share with, uh, with, with us this, you know, today, just some of the things in which you're really passionate about? Sure. Um, I think the first thing that came to mind uh, when you said people need to play, I'm really glad to hear you say that uh, people and not just pastors, right? Not just ministry folks. Um, That being probably a lot of our worlds, maybe the three of us were familiar with that. But since leaving the quote unquote ministry world, professional Christian world, um, it's it's held true in every single corner in every single category. So architects, lawyers, doctors, teachers, parents, uh, it's a it's an epidemic. I mean, it's a it, it is a anemic ec- epidemic of just um, people confused about play, people burned out, and uh, play is not mentioned as an anecdote to that. Uh, it's just all over the board, a very confusing definition of play, definitions of play. Uh, what is that? Uh, but the thing that uh, when you were asking and describing sort of JR's interests and maybe what we connected over, first thing that came to mind was was that definition piece of uh, what do you mean? Like when you say play, uh, you know, what comes to mind? So for you guys and your listeners already, images are popping into your heads or experiences or stories or um, what have you. Probably uh, a lot of us are thinking about extroverts or we're thinking about uh, camp counselors or jesters or pie in the face or, um, you know, silliness. And uh, of course, a delightful whimsical uh, place for that kind of activity and some understanding of play. Um, But is that what we mean when we say play, you know, so basically if you're an introvert or it's like your worst nightmare to think about being in front of a group of people and like dancing or throwing pie or telling a joke or whatever. So that therefore means well, play is off limits for you or it's, it's just not um, accessible or it's not a thing for you which hopefully that's not true. And at the beginning of starting the center, that was one of the first hurdles we had to, we had to jump over. What do we mean by that? So uh, just to cut to it, um, and we can ask more if you'd like, but by play at the Center for Play and Exploration, we mean curiosity-driven exploration of hidden goodness. Ooh, say that again yeah, slowly. That's, really, that's really gold. Curiosity-driven exploration of hidden goodness or basically hidden goodness is a synonym for potential, right? Mm, mm. So there's all this, I mean, don't get, I mean, you've already gotten me started. (laughs) No, keep going. This is why we want you on. This is (laughs) great. Let the record show it's your fault. (laughs) Um, And if you start thinking about play like that, then again, for us ministry types or people who identify as Christians, the next question comes to one of permission, right? Is, is that okay? Is it, uh, is it worthwhile? Is it allowable uh, from the top down? You're know, all the way up. What does God think about that kind of activity of, you know, curiosity-driven exploration and 
playfulness and uh, creativity, innovation, that kind of thing. It sounds like a luxury, right? It sounds like, well, maybe Google and Apple and some really wealthy people, and well, not sometimes, that's how we understand it. You have to have a certain pay grade in order to be able to travel or to um, try some new thing. Uh, but the thing that one of the things that pushed me over the line to make me quit my job and start this center was the theology of it. Um, and we say a lot at the center's uh, experiences, if we're talking to believers anyways, and we talk to all different kinds of folks uh, claiming faith or not, if you get the beginning right, you get everything else right. Yeah, that's right. That has single, single-handedly, singly been one of the uh, formative statements of, of the second half of my life of, uh, so much of my misunderstanding, my confusion, maybe some of that anemic epidemic that we're struggling with, I think has, can simply be boiled down to, we just, we missed the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. Uh, JR was saying, you know, what's the first chapter one or three of Genesis is the creation first or is it the fall? Obviously, the creation comes first, but that's that's not enough. It's what kind of creation in which in in what kind of creation do we find ourselves? Mm. And pillar number one of the center is uh, that the world, the creation, the universe uh, is unbearably good. It is ridiculously good. It's unnecessarily good. It's inappropriate. It's, uh, it's, it's gooder than it needs to be, right? Uh, uh. There are more kinds of things than are necessary. And there is a theology there that if you're not careful, will wreck your life, just mm. destroy it. And, uh, you and your listeners, I cannot guarantee your safety. If you start <laughs> like thinking about this, you know, legitimately, and I don't even want to, right? Like it's, uh, just that's what we mean by the beginning. You know, what kind of place is this? And in spite of everything that uh, we've read today or heard recently, um, and we all have real-time stories of pain and struggle and loss right now, uh, you know, that's a bold statement to say that the world is a good place instead of a bad place. And how far are you willing to go with that? And you know, I don't know how much time we want to spend on that particular piece of the center or not. But as a teaser, uh, we try to go as far as saying uh, the world is a good place. It was good before it went bad. And in fact, there is no such thing as an inherently evil thing. There is only good stuff that has been perverted or tainted mm. or restricted in some way. Uh, evil has never had an original idea, never come up with anything. All it can do is try to confuse or deceive or hinder uh, pre-existing good stuff. Mm. And uh, again, if you're not careful, that fork in the road will change everything. And as far as permission to play and explore, um, your understanding of God, your faith, your hope for what's coming next, eschatological things start to emerge quickly. Um, but leading into the second pillar of the, of the center and sort of back to your question of like the passion behind this and the pillar of it, 
the world being really good is quickly followed by uh, an invitation by the creator to cultivate the goodness of the creation, uh, often called the cultural mandate and the end of Genesis 1. So the one-two punch for me, long way to answer your question, is uh, a philosophical perspective, a theological perspective that in spite of what I've heard and what I'm tempted to believe, the world is unnecessarily good right now today. And the overwhelming vast majority of that goodness has been hidden from us on purpose. It is embedded. It's not obvious. So you go outside, you see sky, tree. If you're standing next to one, an ocean maybe, and then whoever you're standing with, okay, got it. Those three or four things are good. But 99.9 repeating percent of the goodness in the creation is hidden from us on purpose because God intends for us, the creator intends for us to go find it, to develop it, to, um, to cultivate it. So curiosity-driven exploration of hidden goodness is what it means to be human, we're ready to say. Uh, That is your work. That's my work. There's good stuff hidden out there, and it's our job to go cultivate it. And we call that activity play, which uh, necessitates exploration. First of all, that's amazing. Um, I, yeah, I just feel like that just gives invitation, um, like a, a prescription for invitation all over the place. Um, and and I, I don't want to pull away from that at all, but like, how did you get to that point personally? I, I, my sense is there's a deep journey in that. And so how did that, how did, how did these convictions come about? It was a, a handful of converging uh, moments and eras in my life, sort of a perfect storm, I think. Uh, maybe a, a couple of them earliest on, sort of in seed form, uh, were my own interests, my own curiosities in the world, rock and roll, baseball, ice cream, history. Um, you know, what, what am I supposed to do with those? quickly came up as a high schooler even, you know, because I was kind of, I picked up along the way that Christian faith is about uh, one or two things, you know, because if you get the beginning wrong, you get everything else wrong. Mm -hmm. So if the beginning of the story basically tells us that the only thing that matters are our souls or, you know, whatever those are and wherever those are and saving those things, then it becomes tricky at best to give some kind of justification for ice cream, rock and roll, baseball, sex, books, history, you know, anything else outside of your soul. And it's just simply because we forgot that God made all those things and that, sorry, that God hid the potential for all those things in the creation And over time, we have found them. And everybody else, everybody has their favorite bits, right? And those are some of mine. And the more you scratch at the surface of one of those, they just explode in your hands. All the labyrinths, all the rabbit trails, 
I mean, pick anything under the sun and you can research it and explore it forever and you will never fully understand it. Mm. And I think that's delightful. Mm. I think that's gospel, especially if God's okay with that. Mm. So early, early on, I had that tension of what do I do with the things that I love and I'm curious about. And a couple key teachers and professors in my life um, either nudged me down the path of exploring answers to that question or just pretty succinctly tied that knot that you love these things because God loves these things. And not only is it okay for you to love these things, you have been commanded to develop your love of those things. And the creation is groaning, waiting for you to develop it. And I had just never heard, and I still don't hear very much people saying, uh, baseball is groaning and needs cultivators, and God is waiting for people to do that. Well, amen and amen. I mean, that seems so, so obvious to people like you and me, Dave. Of course, it's baseball. It's God's game. <laughs> it's God's game. <laughs> and fill in the blank, right? I mean, so how sure, far are you willing sure. to go? You know, and, and I would say there is nothing that you can't put in that blank. And that's mm. just probably the best news I've ever heard. So mm. early on, I heard the seed forms of that. Some of my training in campus ministry focused on the cultural mandate. That was the second piece, you know, so the permission to love the world and hobbies and culture, but then a command to develop its hidden potential was huge for me. Huge. It was like a, a renaissance. It was like hearing the rest of the gospel. You know, I'd, I'd heard the beginning and I was interested but I still had, I didn't have really anything to look forward to doing in, in the kingdom of God. Right. Mm, What are we going to pass our time doing? Like just the best I could come up with was singing forever and singing the same song forever. And I had this crisis of faith when I realized in my dark inner parts, I don't want to do that. And I I don't want to go there. And so that was, you know, that's a big deal to realize that sort of the hope of your faith is something that you're not interested in. So either you need a new faith or you've misunderstood the hope of what it is. And so another 10 years goes by and teachers and books and experiences and all that start to come together. Fast forwarding to about three or four years ago. Uh, when we got a grant to basically try something new uh, at a local church I was working out of, and a couple of friends there said, yeah, we're in, let's try this together. And again, going very quickly, seven of us sort of did what we call a play and exploration cohort, where we tested these ideas out for the first time in real life. What is play? Is it permissible? Is the world a good place or a bad place? How do we develop hidden potential? We went on field trips and ate really well and drank really well. And all of these things just kept getting affirmed left and right to where we basically, I anyways, had no option left. Uh, I've got to do this. And that was about three and a half years ago. And Mm -hmm. All those folks played key roles, namely those folks on that first cohort. It it wouldn't exist without them, for sure, and their encouragement. Dave, I remember when you and I were talking at the retreat, it was just like, oh, there's a guy next to me. Hi, Dave. You know, hi, Jerry. And within, what, five minutes, we were just like, this is amazing, just back and forth. And 
Oh, I just, that was such a great conversation this summer in Harrisburg. And and I knew you were onto something. And even as you're talking, it actually reminds me of three different figures who I think have theologically in some way, formally or informally, whether knowingly or unknowingly have, have actually tipped into a lot of what you're saying. So Barbara Brown Taylor has actually said that our job is to be detectors of divinity, which is a great thing. That's that idea of like hidden potential. And so what if part of my cultural mandate was actually to be a detector of divinity in the goodness that this good God has placed in the world. So that's the first thing I thought of. And the second one, which I'm, I'm, pretty confident you've you've used or thought through this uh, Chesterton quote, you know, G.K. Chesterton and orthodoxy. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but if it's all right, I'd love to read it because it totally sounds like what you're talking about. He says, please, because children, please. yeah, because children have a, have a bounding vitality because they are in a, they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown up person does it again until he is nearly dead for grown up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we Oh man, I just get goosebumps every time I think about that quote. <laughs> so good. Yeah, he's an old rattlesnake for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one, you know, thinking about good things and you mentioned eating well and drinking well and I think of I think it's attributed to Ben Franklin who said, you know, beer is evidence that um I'm going to botch it. Oh. What how does it go? Beer is evidence that God loves us and wants what's best for us or something like that. that I think that's the quote. If if that's not Benjamin Franklin, that's you. Yeah, well, that and also I sometimes replace the word beer with baseball. I've said like baseball is proof that God loves us and wants what's Mm. what's best for us. Mm. And uh, Doug's more of a hockey guy. Uh, here, Dave, yeah. and uh, yeah. so yeah, there's some goodness, a little bit, not as much baseball, yeah. but there's some think, goodness in hockey. I don't hockey, think there's so. as much goodness in hockey <laughs> as there is in baseball. We don't believe that in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. true. <laughs> that's so true. So tell us a little bit about you know you start the center. That's a big jump. I mean, to to leave your campus ministry role and to just uh, to start the center for play and exploration. How do you have the courage to go for it? To start something, it's not like you're starting an insurance business or a law firm. I mean, this is a new realm that took some courage. So, how did you overcome some of those fears in starting the center? Some of it, um, delightful ignorance, right? <laughs> I had no idea what I didn't know, and uh, you know, looking back, I'm really thankful for that. I, I there is something delightful about not knowing what you should be afraid of, right? And that's a childlike characteristic, I think, right? Of there's a delightful naivete sometimes of let's go for this. Yeah, why not? Let's try it. Mm -hmm. So that for sure that I figured out later as I went, but after the initial jump, um, no question that it was uh, who is now the board, those people, friends, community, uh, did not do it by myself. Uh, I had more than my own voice in my head, you know, which was huge. Um, my voice often was saying, 
you're crazy. You know, you're responsible for your children and your wife and you have bills and responsibilities. And what are you doing? This is not appropriate. You know, this is irresponsible. And then I would have people that had gone through the cohort or good friends say it's irresponsible not to. Mm. And uh, so that's invaluable. You know, and whenever you take a huge risk like that, having people that'll tell you you're not crazy and this is a good idea and it's, um, it's incredibly beneficial, you know, and can tell you why and that kind of thing. Um, mm. The other thing that was kind of going on started to uh, develop while we started the center and then quickly uh, got a lot of meat around the bones right after we started it was this very idea of fear and and what we're afraid of and using play and exploration as weapons against it. Uh, that, you know, so, so, so many of the things we're afraid of don't actually exist. Uh, there's really nothing under the bed. And, and that kind of comes uh, from that original idea we talked about, uh, about evil and what is it and uh, where is it and how strong is it? Um, there's a, a scene that we use a lot in play and exploration professional development from uh, Professor Lupin's class at Hogwarts from Harry Potter. He's the defense against the dark arts teacher at the time. So right away, I'm interested. What do you mean defense against the dark arts? You know, so I'm afraid, we're afraid, we're beating ourselves up. We're, you know, all these things that we're held captive by. How do you defend against that? Which, by the by, uh, it seems like the uh, biblical story says it's not defense, it's offense, mm -hmm. right? Just as a little teaser. But uh, Lupin says he teaches them the ridiculous charm. And the way that you uh, fight back against what you're afraid of is you laugh at it and you, you mock it. And, you know, I think of Luther saying, mock the devil and the devil will run away from you because the gig's up. Right. If you get the beginning right, you get everything else right. And the one thing, if if there even is such a thing worth our time as evil or Satan or whatever, uh, if the beginning of the story is right, then the one thing that evil uh, doesn't want us to find out or remember is who it really is and what it can really do. And, you know, that Satan, Satan's self is a good, good creation of our creator. And next time you see him, remind him of that or mock him with that, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, when I was starting this, all that stuff is swimming in and out of my head and my heart. And I had people around me that were reminding me of that. And, and enough interest at the beginning that we had a gig or two, right? It wasn't like, oh man, let's, let's see what happens. And then we just kind of sat there for two years. I mean, it was almost sitting there for two years, but um, there were people that were interested enough and trusted us enough to try it, even while we were in real time trying to describe and articulate what we were doing. And that was, a, I think, for a, a startup like that, that, like you mentioned, JR, it's not like plumbing or IT that you say the title and people instantly know what you mean, at least generally. We'd say the Center for Play and Exploration and people are just like, the heck are you talking about <laughs> or the the number oh, one you thing. run a preschool huh yeah. that's really yeah. cool <laughs> exactly the number one thing people said was oh sorry i don't have kids oh man yeah. wow yeah. It's like, well i don't care you know that's not it's not for you it's not yeah. for them it's for you 
and then they get real squirrely. It was like, wait, play an exploration for adults only. <laughs> You're like, what kind of operation yeah, you kind of running? Operation? You leave campus ministry well, and then you go uh, to some yeah. What's pagan. Going on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I can just, and I love that. I mean, I said, oh, so you work with kids. That was, I think, in the first five minutes of art. And you said, we refuse to work with kids or something like that. And, <laughs> and I said, why? And you said, because they're the experts. They don't need mm. help with play. They know how to play and explore. And I thought, ooh, right? And then that whole, like, well, Jesus says that unless we become like little children, we don't. In- so I had never really made that strong, direct connection between become like little children, i.e. you need to play. To me, it was, oh, they're innocent. They don't try to fake it. And I know that's part of it, but it was the the playfulness side. I just wonder how many listeners would say, yeah, you know, they people in my church accuse me of being playful. Mm. I bet it's pretty a pretty small amount. And so what are the critics? I mean, I just... Again, this is so fascinating to us, but I can just imagine even some stripes and certain denominations and certain theological camps that would hear this and would just jump out of their seat as being critical of this. And Dave, what do you mean? What about sin? Sin wrecks everything. And, you know, it it was good, but it's no longer good. And, oh, you're just a Christian hedonist. And, you know, we should just go out and have fun every day. We can't do that. So, and again, I'm probably extrapolating or overemphasizing this, but I would imagine you probably get some pushback. So when you get some of those uh, critiques, what are some of the common critiques? And then even some of our listeners that might be sitting here with their head cocked and going, Dave, this is kind of strange. I don't theologically really. So just tease out maybe some of those, those uh, pushbacks that you've received. Yeah, I'll do my best. Of course, that's a, that's a huge, you know, it happens all the time to answer your question and it's, it goes deep quickly, you know? So it's a, it's a complicated complex, I should say answer, but just, um, Maybe a couple of, of places to start if people are curious about, you know, where does this go and, and how how it works. Um, so one, one thing I would say quickly is to start at the end and come backwards. So uh, if, if you're having, if, if we are confused or frustrated or even worried about heresy or appropriateness talking like this, um, it's, it's been a great practice for me for checking myself, uh, to start at the end of, of where God is taking all this and come backwards and check yourself compared to that end picture, right? Does it, that makes sense. So there's an old, uh, Scottish theologian, H.R. McIntosh that says, uh, every bit of Christian dogma or teaching must be read backwards at least once to see if it makes sense. Hmm. Uh, where is this going? Uh, what's the end game? Come back and look how you're living and practicing and believing right now. And if there's a huge gap there, it doesn't necessarily mean you got the end wrong. It's probably like you're off base, get back in line. And, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle, uh, the comedian, oftentimes, um, you know, who knew Dave Chappelle had this much in common with this Scottish Presbyterian theologian, but he, he does that starting at the end practice with jokes. So he has a jar, at least he had a jar on his kitchen table. And every now and then he'll just write a punchline in it and, and put the punchline in the jar. And then weeks, months, whatever later comes back and just randomly pulls one out. Like, what? That's not a horse or, you know, whatever it says. And he goes backwards and makes it funny. And so, uh, 
the the first thing, maybe the most helpful thing to this critique of, wait, is this even true or biblical or what, is this just hedonism? Come on. Is this like head in the sand? Is has everything to do with your understanding of what we sometimes call heaven or uh, the new creation. And I just want to leave it at that as a teaser of, you know, what will that be like? Uh, Will God destroy the creation, the good, good, good creation in favor of a disembodied spiritual eternal hymn reality, or will God perfect the creation? And I have bet the ranch that it's that one, that Mm -hmm. I think I enjoy this place now. Uh, I enjoy this place now um, with a restrictor plate on it. Uh, And I had key people in my life that said to me, you know, Dave, you think you like baseball now? Just wait. Wow. Oh, that encourages me to no end. You think you enjoy (laughs) hockey now? Just wait. You haven't, you've that never encourages seen me it. to no end. <laughs> <laughs> and pick something, you know, chocolate, yeah. mm. art, music, uh, preaching, um, architecture, you know, uh, the other thing too, that might get people to think about the critique that you're mentioning is, you know, you could just as easily say, uh, as you could, well, the world's bad now. It used to be good. Uh, now it's bad. Can't you just as easily say, Uh, All these good things that you can think of and point to right now are all post-fall. The the fall, evil, if you will, has emptied both barrels into the good, good creation, and the good, good creation is still here. And it is, uh, I'm not even sure I'd say limping. I guess I'm comfortable with limping. I'll give you that. But it has absorbed evil and keeps going. And the idea that we're hoping for is evil being withdrawn from it and the good continuing. And of course, if that's true, back to the, you know, the critique again, uh, it's only hedonism uh, if these things about which we are hedonistic are not allowed or God created or good. And the scriptures say that they are, that sex and rock and roll and drugs, sex and rock and roll are God's idea. And the question is, how do we appropriately best enjoy them to the glory of God? Mm. And because we don't know how to do that, what we do is we throw them away. Well, when something breaks, God does not throw it away. God redeems it. And Mm. those couple of pillars or, you know, beginning sentences are how I think the best places to start going back against that critique of this is just, you know, wishful thinking or head in the sand or hedonism. Some combination of those, I think, are the, are the anecdote. I think I'm imagining some listeners would say, okay, wow, this is fascinating, a theology of play. The goodness of God is hidden. Uh, he runs the Center for Play and Exploration. Um, I think a question that, that pastors and other listeners would have would be, so what exactly does the center do? So maybe you can articulate, you know, how do you, if people came to you and said, hey, I need to help, uh, have uh, some help in terms of playing or my team or whatever, w- what does the center do to help encourage this? 
Yeah, uh, the most common, most popular way we do that is, you know, for lack of a better phrase, just to use to access what we're talking about is professional development. So mm -hmm. the Center for Play and Exploration, i.e. me and a friend or two, come on site to your organization, to uh, your team, whether that's so for this podcast, maybe it's a church or a school or a ministry team of some kind, uh, but we do it for organizations, institutions, corporations of any kind, businesses, whatever. And most commonly folks ask for that because they feel stuck, uh, they're in a rut, uh, or they just, it's okay, but they want it to be better. Um, it's good. It's not good, good. And it's not innovative. It's not uh, creative. They're just wondering, could we get more out of our team? Could we get more uh, and more interesting product or our teaching, you know, whatever the context is. So coming on site and doing professional development, teaching, curiosity, divergent thinking, and a freedom to fail. Those are the three things uh, that we know how to do. And that's kind of it. And all that to the end of fulfilling the cultural mandate and playing and exploring. So do it with a team on site for your place. Uh, probably the next one would be cohorts, what we call cohorts, where individuals oftentimes come to Pittsburgh, but we can do those uh, mobile as well. Uh, it's over five or six months that go through these steps of is the world a good place or bad place, putting that to rest or at least starting to uh, cultural mandate, uh, teaching divergent thinking, and then people picking a certain area of their life or their work in which they want to play and explore. Um, I'm stuck in this at work. I'm stuck in this at parenting. I'm lost in, in my marriage. I, I, you know, whatever it is. And then we share that with each other at the end. And then uh, we do these it's basically coaching. So one-on-one -on -one with me or new things that we're trying called Bloom Labs, B-L-O-O-M, where eight to 10 folks get together. It's sort of like an imagination lab where you have an idea that you want to try in your life or your work and you need a sounding board for it. And you have six or seven kindred spirits around you that are like, oh, that's cool. I like this. What about that? You get You get the benefit of all of their own curiosity, divergent thing. You get to sprinkle their resources onto your idea. So those are the three ways we, we typically respond. Those are really helpful. I, my sense is that a lot of people walk away from these three particular ways, uh, super jazz and encouraged. Yeah. yeah um, I think they do. So as I think about, uh, you mentioned the love of ice cream and baseball and rock and roll, um, so how do those, what does play specifically look like for you in those areas? Like what is exploration in rock and roll, um, finding hidden goodness in that? Like, can you talk us through maybe some practical ways? Yeah. So, uh, the assumption of course being that, uh, rock and roll is a good thing. You know, it's mm -hmm. almost, you have to say it out loud, right? Because it's amazing how quickly I slip into thinking, well, it's frivolous. It's a waste of time. You know, it's there's people out there to save, right? So where does rock and roll fit in? So tell myself again, rock and roll is God's idea. Uh, it needs to be cultivated and developed just like any other, just like uh, feeding the poor and um, school and education. So maybe most practically, uh, I have an electric guitar and an amp and I have effects pedals 
and I uh, try to make sounds. And I try to make different sounds than I did last time. Or I try to see what sounds sound good together. Uh, or I try to mimic or copy or learn from my heroes. How did they do that? Um, just like school, right? Or just like an apprenticeship. So what, what have these folks taught me about this craft? And uh, what, what do I want to do just like they do? And what do I want to do as I have been created? Like, what do I have to add to this? And, you know, by the by, like, you can just simply move in and out uh, the topic, right? So you can, you can substitute preaching for rock and roll. You can substitute ministry for rock and roll. You can substitute sex. You can substitute money. You can substitute education or farming. You know, uh, how's this been going so far and what can I add to it? And again, the assumption is that no one ever anywhere collectively or individually has sort of plumbed the depths of rock and roll yet. There's more out there that has not been discovered yet. Rhythms, syncopations, instrumentation, voicing, uh, ideas, themes, uh, presentation of it, audio, visual, you know, it just goes and goes and goes. And so uh, if play and exploration is legit, like we think it is, then I'm responsible for going and finding that. Mm -hmm. And it's just a funny thing to hear somebody say, you know, I'm commanded to play or, you know, we're thinking about getting t-shirts made at the center that we're serious about play. Mm. That's just funny. You know, or wait, what do you mean? Like, uh, and it brings up a lot about like, well, if you're a professional musician or athlete and you're paid to do that, is that work or is that play? And, you know, hitting my head against this for years now, I'm not sure there's a difference. I, I can't tell where one is at least supposed to stop and the other picks up again, especially in the beginning of the story where, where human work was play and exploration. And the only thing that happened to it in the fall was that it got harder. It didn't stop. It didn't, it wasn't nullified. It wasn't like, okay, now that sin has entered the world, that cultural mandate thing, that's off. You know, that's off. No, it just got harder. It became toil sometimes. But it's so inherently interesting to us, you know, our respective interests, curiosities, favorite things, hockey, farming, reading, whatever it is, that you, we almost can't help ourselves, right? And so even when it's frustrating and hard and I can't get the sound out of the amp that I want, it's not like I'm going to stop. Right? <laughs> it's, just, it's just hard or it's frustrating. Or I'm going to put it down for a while and then come back to it because goodness is eternal. It's not going anywhere. And that's incredibly motivating to me. Uh, so just very practically, um, those are those are ways that I take swings at it from time to time. And of course, listening, listening to rock and roll mm. um, and, and being playful with that. How did they do that? Or what's that sound? Or man, that's simple, but it sounds different when they do it. Those are the same three chords that I'm playing. Why does it same sound so different? You know, and that's all part of it too. Man, Dave, this conversation, gosh, it, I could go another two hours just asking questions, and I know we're both just enthralled uh, with this. Just as we land the plane here, uh, last question here, 
what would you say to pastors who are saying, okay, like I, I, things have been so hard. I don't even in their, in their true honesty are willing to say with courage, I don't even know how to play. I don't even know if I have hobbies. I don't even know what that looks like, Dave. I mean, in theory and theologically, okay. I don't, tomorrow, if I had the day off, don't even know what I would do. What are some ridiculously practical or specific things you might submit to pastors to just say, think about this, try that. Let me ask this question of you. What would you say to them? Yeah. Uh, the first thing, probably, if if our other hunches are true, it's just mostly a lot of fatigue and burnout, right? That So I think probably the first 12 days that they set aside to do that, just sit there. Just stop. Just just relax. Uh, sleep. Because um, then, you know, you're starting to, like, you take the day off in order to find your passion, and then you start, like, beating yourself up, working too hard to find your love right so it's like it's oh like it, damned if i do damned if i don't kind of thing you're just stuck again uh so uh, and they'll know i think folks probably intuit a little bit how much time before they start coming around again so i would say i guess that's another way of saying don't rush it take your time like a lot of space and reflective silence and all that can be needed to kind of purge the system. Uh, but then also, you know, sometimes it's helpful, uh, to talk about it as curiosity, uh, rather than play, uh, very, very close, if not synonymous things. And one usually leads to the other. So, uh, look at their, uh, Netflix queue, look at their list, look at their search history, look at the books on their shelf that have not moved and look at the ones that they have, picked up or look at the, what is it that they really are interested in and not the thing that they're supposed to as pastors, right? Like all oh, the new book on predestination or instantiation. <laughs> that sounds fun. Mm, that sounds like play. It's riveting. <laughs> yeah. But like, it, you know, in their, in their darker moments, like they're really more fascinated in animation, you know, like, and, but who's got time for that? And what does that have to do with the kingdom of God? And, you know, on and on it goes. So, maybe a, a semantic change of curiosity rather than play. And again, that quickly That's gets good. to a better robust definition that we don't mean like you need to go join a rugby squad or play a sport or a game. And meanwhile, you're exhausted and you're like your fascination and your curiosity are around other things. And so uh, shrinking play down to a sport or an exercise will in the long term probably hinder them and hurt them because this thing that they're curious about is still not getting attention. And then uh, the other thing uh, sort of in your realm there, JR, is uh, think up a great stumping question, like mm -hmm. how something works or when did this happen? Maybe read the back of a couple of trivial pursuit cards or, um, you know, just paying attention for the course of half a day and realizing you heard an event referenced or a place referenced and you have no idea what that means, go find out and, mm. and just see what happens. Like, uh, again, if all this stuff is okay and permitted, then rabbit trails are okay. It is not, not, not a waste of time. The, it has been hidden from you with the intent of being found and it brings God pleasure when we find it. And so it, it, it could take years to kind of get permission or hit your groove, but 
any swing and miss at it is worth it. I mean, you're, you're, you're honing and practicing and releasing a muscle that has probably atrophied. So it's just going to take some time, but I have zero concern that there's uh, too little out there to be fascinated by. Just start somewhere and then hold on to something because it'll, it'll knock you over. That's a fantastic reframing from play to curiosity, right? I mean, the Jews are so good at wonder, right? Even just starting sentences like, I wonder if, or I'm curious about, that's a fantastic shift. Mm. One of the uh, guests that we had on here, it was a two-part interview that we had with him, a pastor by the name of Steve Cuss, who's in Denver. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he encouraged every pastor to do is create a life-giving list. And he said, just, he said he has a hundred things on this list. Some of them are like fly fishing, which he tries to do a couple times a month. But he said, uh, I think he said like going to the Great Wall of China or something. He's like, I went one time. I probably will never go back, but man, that brought me so much life. And so he creates this life-giving list and he encouraged everybody to do the same. And I think in some ways that could probably get to the point of like, I guess I do have passions. I guess I do yeah. enjoy something more than I thought I do. So um, that's great. And Dave, we could just go on and on in this conversation. Maybe we just need to have you back at another time. Um, but uh, Dave, what I love about you and the little time that I've known you is that you are passionate, but you're also thoughtful. Uh, it's one thing to be thoughtful, but people are dispassionate sometimes when they talk about theology. But you are passionate and thoughtful at the same time, as well as it tells me something. When you take a risk to start an organization that may or may not work, that tells me something about you and your courage. And so we're really grateful for that. And you love baseball, so what's not to love about Dave? And uh, But we are so grateful. And it, my head is spinning, even though some of these things I've already heard. But yeah. gosh, like... This is so good. And uh, so we're going to make sure that we put in the show notes uh, the things that you've re- referenced here. And and uh, so we're so grateful. So, yeah. yeah, thanks again, Dave. I just I feel like what a gift this is to leaders and pastors and people that are listening into this, just to have that framework of permission to chase down rabbit trails. I feel like in an age where productivity seems to be the most important thing that defines us. Um, we've, we've really, it has, it has screwed up our identities more than we've, than we can ever imagine. And so I'm just grateful for the, the, the invitation that you've given us today. Mm. So thank you again. It was good hanging out with you. And, uh, yeah, although I'm not a Penguins fan, uh, I am a (laughs) hockey fan and Mario Lemieux was my favorite player growing up. So fantastic. The guy could score goals, man. He could score goals. <laughs> yes, he could. Yeah, thank well, you guys for again. having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, such a joy. conversation with Dave. I would agree. I, my my brain is still sitting at the beginning of the conversation <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, I just appreciated the way he flipped framework around in terms of not starting in Genesis 3, but yes. beginning in Genesis 1. Yes. That's so good. I, I Both are important, but I just tend to overemphasize Genesis 3 a lot. Right. 
And that was really important. It was very important for me to be reminded that it was good. It was very good. I love, you know, in the conversations I've had with Dave, he says that they were ridiculously good, which I love that yeah, adverb. that ridiculously Ridiculi- good. Or adjective, I just say, ridiculously yeah. good. And um, so I, that just always sticks with me. Um, the, the goodness of God. Mm. Like we, we say that God is good, but to, but to think like the goodness of God who he is then creates good things. Yes. It flows out of his character of who he is. So that, that, that's really stuck with me. That's really been helpful. And I think that's, that's really difficult for us as we're, we are trained to be skeptical and we're trained to look at the, the negative things that are happening within our life and world and all of those different things that we see, whether it be in the media or whether we see it uh, on Facebook in the morning or Twitter or whatever, but to even just to develop that practice of seeing the goodness of God in the things around us. Yeah. I feel like that is so big. I, I even, um, you know, I, I know, I know you guys practice gratitude as a family of like, what's, you know, what's the good stuff that happened or what are the things that we need to celebrate? But I feel like that in itself was just, that's a good way to play. Yeah. 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 And and just recently, um, I had a chance to, to install, I don't think we've talked about it here. I think you and I have talked about it. We installed a a bell downstairs Mm. in our, our, uh, between our family room and our kitchen. It's like a dinner bell and we like drilled screws into the wall. And so we say that uh, anytime one of these three things happens, anyone in our family can stand under the bell and ring it. And then we have to go nuts. Not have to, we get to go nuts as a family. So one is where did I experience joy? Did I experience joy that I want to share with other people? Because joy is meant to be shared. Number two, where did I serve beyond myself uh, toward others? The arrow's pointing out. And then number three, um, what goal or progress, what, what progress did I make toward a goal or a dream that I'm working on? And so people say, I've got something with the bell. And so we all crowd around, you stand on the bell and go, ding, 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 ding. and then we all go, woo, and they have to tell the story mm. about what it is. So I think that's helping our family be grateful and to play and to recognize God's goodness in things. I recently uh, took a trip to a Christian college um, uh, just, just a few weeks ago, and it was... Um, They've, they've had a really difficult summer, and as students were coming back, they were trying to process some grief, a loss of some uh, some people who had transitioned, even uh, a beloved uh, staff member who had died of a heart attack over the summer. And so they were really grieving and, and needed to be reminded of that. So I, I bought an extra bell, and I flew with it, and I gave it to them as a gift. And I said, I want you to put this up, and when you experience goodness and joy, ring the bell. The reason why we do the bells here in, living in Philadelphia, um, the bell means a lot. Um, it does. And so the bell, obviously ring the bell, the freedom ring. So it's about freedom uh, and liberty. But when the Phillies win... Oh, baseball reference. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> when the Phillies win it, or hit a home run, the, the ginormous bell in Citizens Bank Park rings. And so the idea of either liberty or victory happening, where we would celebrate and go, woohoo, um, a bell needs to ring. And uh, so that's why we installed the bell uh, for that. And we've even had people say, hey, you know, we had a family member, extended family member say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm halfway through my chemo treatments for cancer. Ring that bell for me. I'm making progress on my goal. Mm. And so to, to <laughs> ring that bell and record it and then send it to them and just say, this is for you, buddy. Um, so it's been really cool. Other people have sort of joined in. And so we just invite you, if you want us to ring the bell for you, let us know. We'll ring it for you. Send us an email. Um, we'll even record it. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that has been really good for our family to just try to cultivate um, 
freedom and goodness and, and play in what we're doing, which is really good. So, um, yeah, well, I, I think one of the things too, I mean, we started talking about like city a year and people might think, well, that's huge and I, that's expensive. And that's, um, you don't have to do that. It can be smaller things. So I think as we think about some of the questions or resources at the end, one of the things that I thought about is what, what can we do to schedule even just five minutes of play today? Mm. Doesn't have to be long, but what can we do just for the sake of enjoyment and play and uh, not escape, but enjoyment and 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 play and and part of that you know what could, if you have children the question I thought about Doug is um, for our listeners what can you do to be fully present with your kids today for five minutes mm. it's easy for like a minute or two but then you start reaching for your phone yeah. just for five focused minutes what can we do to play with our kids regardless of their age I I we've actually adopted that over the last uh, month and a half and we've been playing games. And so, uh, almost, almost usually three to four days a week after dinner, we either play Skippo, Uno or Cornhole. Yeah, that's on, great. And it's just been so that's much awesome. fun for us to, and you know, I think the problem is a lot of times we feel, and I love that you said five minutes because mm. so many times I think we feel like, Oh, if I'm going to do it, it has to be like an hour or yeah. we try to shoot for the moon. But the truth is, if you can be locked in with your family enjoying something for five minutes, that is a gift. Yeah, yeah. That is that's a huge good. gift. We've heard the phrase, uh, the family that prays together plays together. But I'd like to add an addendum to that, that if the family that plays together stays together. Yeah. Wait, did I mix mm. that up? Did I say that wrong? Uh, I think you said that right. A yeah. Family that plays... Pray, family that prays together stays together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then also the family that plays together mm. prays... <laughs> the family that plays together stays together. Yeah, so praying and playing, which ironically, you ask Eugene Peterson, you know, I asked him for years, like, what do you do on Sabbath? And I was expecting this really complicated answer. He said, I pray and play. Mm. That, that's what I do. I pray and play. Mm. So that's, I think if we can do that, even in little tiny mini Sabbath moments throughout our day, I think that can be really helpful. So, I mean, you mentioned um, the life-giving list. We've talked yes. about that in the past, but talk a little bit more about how that relates to play. Yeah, I, I feel like for, for especially for pastors and kingdom leaders, it's so important for us to have a list. And I, I can't remember, um, actually, that was Josh Myers, I think, that brought up the life-giving uh, list. Steve Cuss. It was Steve Cuss. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Steve. Uh, you're welcome, Josh. <laughs> Anyways, I think to have a list of life-giving things and um, and just and and I think when we think about it, it, it doesn't always have to be like you said, like the the big city of the year. But what are the small things like, you know, coffee first thing in the morning, um, lighting a candle at night, thunderstorms. Uh, you know, the for me, everything that has to do with fishing or... Yeah, you, know, you just, just showed me like five minutes ago, you showed me a picture of you catching a big fish on yeah. Friday with your son. Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. And so, yeah, but even in that, it was so, it was such a beautiful day. I only caught two fish and my, it's hard because my son is growing as a fly fisherman. And so he experiences a lot more frustration than fun at the moment. And so it was really fun to see him catch a really nice fish as well. And 
um, yeah, I think just being there. And for me, it's not about catching anything anymore. It's just about being present and here in the water. And I mean, even I had this really amazing moment of smelling uh, pipe tobacco on the river and it just like in this joy started, I could sense joy <laughs> rising up in me just, just from a smell. Like huh. there was just this deep sense of joy in that. So yeah, that's yeah. Great. but having, you know, what things that you eat that you just love to eat and to develop that list and to, when those things happen to make sure that you like, oh yeah, that's something that brings me life. I think that's so important for us to do. Yeah, that's great. So what can you do to be fully present with your kids today for five minutes? How can you even schedule five minutes of just fun, not escape, but play uh, either together or even by yourself. That's fine. And then what's on your life-giving list? Um, and if you haven't touched that list for a while, maybe dust it off, add some things. Or if you uh, are in a season of just where it's really draining, God's wired you a certain way. He's given you a personality with gifts and passions and excitements. Utilize some of those things on the list if it's been a dry season. And so we want to offer those questions to you. And as far as resources, we want to give you just a few of those. Uh, the first one is, is Dave's website for the Center for Play and Exploration, and it's just simply playandexploration.org. Play and exploration.org. And, uh, and you and I were talking about a book that we loved by mm-hmm. Mike Iaconelli. It's been out maybe 20 years or so, uh, called Dangerous Wonder. Uh, that was a fantastic book. So good. I'm tickled when I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, seriously, that's one of those books I've read uh, several times. Me too. Uh, laughter, tears, but of just being reminded, my goodness, like I just need to remember that God is a God who also likes to play too and invites me into that play. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are really grateful to be in partnership with Missio Alliance. Yes. And so you'll be hearing more about that in the future, but uh, grateful to be doing that. Check out missioalliance.org as well for that. But uh, just as we close, uh, we just want to remind you all, if you're listening, that God is in control. And because he's on the throne and the tomb is empty, that the pressure is off, that you can participate with God, not to God or at God or for God, that we can actually do ministry with God. And when we do it with him, that's when he empowers us and we don't have to do it on our own strength. God bless and bless God. See you next week. 